I'm reading from Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So we're in a series called Manifesto. And this series uh, uh, is, is a series through the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached to His disciples. And He starts out the series going through what are called the Beatitudes. And what you notice about the Beatitudes is that they are this this chain of characteristics of disciples of Jesus. In essence, he's saying, here's the work that the kingdom of God is going to do inside of you and then through you. And so as you look at the first uh, three or four Beatitudes where he talks about what it looks like to have an impoverished spirit and then what it looks like to mourn over your sin. And then today we pick up on meekness, which is the natural overflow of the heart uh, that has seen their sin for what it is and seen Jesus for who He is. And then He goes on to say things like, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so, uh, so it's like this chain of events that's all connected together, this work that He does in us, this hunger that He gives us, and the work that He does through us. So as we go on through the Beatitudes, you'll see Jesus say things like, blessed uh, are the peacemakers, blessed are the pure in heart. So you see the actions that come out of the believer as we go on through this, but we're going we're gonna to plant ourselves in this idea of meekness this morning. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, my kids and I and family, uh, we went up to Blairsville, Georgia. Now, if you're unfamiliar with where Blairsville is, it is north of here and it is in the mountains. It's beautiful. It looks like you're in a different place. Uh, this little uh, kind of mountain town has this little grocery store. I can't even think of what it's called now, but in this little grocery store is this little... Um, it's, it's really eclectic. It's got all these random knickknacks and like, you know, you can, you can buy a, a sleeping bag and you can get a lollipop. You know I mean? It's just kind of one of those stores. And at this little store, they play this little game uh, where they hide this brass monkey. This brass monkey is about yay high and they hide it somewhere in the store. And the game is you got to try to find it. So uh, last time we were there, we didn't have time to do it. But this time we pulled in and I kind of prepped the kids and I said, we're going to find this brass monkey today. You know what I'm saying? And so I let them kind of run loose for about 15 minutes in there. Uh, no dice. I asked the owner, hey, is the brass monkey actually in the store? Are you guys, is this a big joke? You know, they said, no, 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 it's in here. And so at that point, I get my dad game on and decide to find the brass monkey. We are in the store for 30 minutes and the brass monkey is nowhere to be found. And See, there was a prize to be given to the kids that found the brass monkey. And so uh, our littlest two, Roman and Maggie, took it upon themselves to just snag a couple lollipops anyway. And uh, we had to pay for those and then throw them in the garbage. It was a matter of principle, though. It was a matter of principle. So why, why don't I share that story with you? Hide and seek. It's the game that every kid starts playing as soon as they can communicate anything. They play it around your house. And, and you know, when kids are small... They have these great little hiding spots like behind the curtain where you can see their toes dangling out. You know what I'm talking about? But then as we get older, we get a little better at hiding. You know, hiding, hide and seek is a very spiritual thing. It's a very spiritual thing. And, and, and what, we, what we do as we grow up uh, as adults is we hide our weaknesses at all costs because we think we have to make ourselves look strong. So we continue playing hide and seek our whole life. It's just what we do. We think it, and if, if, if we expose ourselves and leave ourselves open to others, our weaknesses, then we cannot possibly progress 
and succeed in life. And so we hide ourselves because we think it's the only way we can be strong. This idea of meekness really has to do with this hidden strength that Jesus gives us. Here's, here's how I'm describing what meekness is and defining it today. Meekness is the gentle, quiet strength of a secure soul. It's what God gives you as a gift as you trust in Him. So today, as we look at these Scriptures, Jesus invites us to explore a better way to be strong. A better way to be strong. And it's in receiving the gift of meekness. So as we look at the Scripture that we're talking about in Matthew 5, 5 today, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I want, you to, I want to draw your attention to this fact that, 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 me, that meekness is this quiet strength. It's not, this, it's not weakness. It's not timidity. It's a quiet, secure strength. It's, it's very close to the idea of humility, but it's the outworking of humility. You don't feel like you have to grasp and strive after things in life because Jesus is with you. He's embodied you through His Spirit, and you are content to be. So it's this idea that Jesus is the one that secures us. So what I want to do today is I want to I look at uh, how the Gospel sets us free to live in the strength of God. And I've got three things I want to talk about. Uh, the first one is this, we're free to hide in God instead of from God. The second one is we're, uh, we're free to receive the strength from God. And the third one is this, we're free to empower others. That's what the meekness of God embodied through the Holy Spirit does in and through us. So let's dig in together. Free to hide in God. So uh, if you have a Bible, open up to Genesis chapter 3. Um, and what, what I've learned about this idea of hiding is that it's not a new thing. It's the first thing that happened in the garden when Adam and Eve uh, took the fruit and disobeyed God. Uh, it was the fir their first reaction in their flesh was to hide themselves. So you wonder why is your first reaction or my kid's first reaction to lie about something that they've been busted in? It's because it's the natural inclination of every single one of us to hide ourselves. We get it from the garden. We get it because that's what sin does. Um, so let's look at Genesis 3, 7 through 11. Uh, then the, this, is after, this is after Adam and Eve have disobeyed God. These are the consequences and, and kind of the narrative of what happens to them afterwards. Just a few verses here. Then the eyes of both were, were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And he said, I have heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? You see, what, what had been going on in the garden is there was this freedom that they experienced, this, this presence of God among them all of the time. And when sin entered the picture, their first response was to be afraid from God and to hide from God. And, and here's the deal, guys. Here, here, I'm going to cut straight to the chase. Where is it that you're prone to hide from God? Because the, tr the truth that the gospel brings to us is this. 
We don't have to hide from God. We get to hide in God through the work of Jesus. Where is it that you are prone to hide? Where is it, where is it that you're prone to stitch together a tapestry of fig leaves to cover yourselves from God? Because I think the greatest lie that the devil has ever told any of us is that we have to hide from God. And how do we hide? We hide in our work. We hide in our self-righteous good works for God. Look at me, God. I've done this. We hide in our shame. God could never love me because I've done that. We hide through pride and through fear. And the beauty of the, the invitation from Jesus is that you don't have to hide anymore. You don't have to hide. And the reality is, is that we're all exposed before God whether we want to acknowledge that or not. God knows exactly what you've done in your life. And He still sent Jesus, as Romans 5.8 says, while we were yet sinning. Or in the Greek it reads like this, while you are sinning, in, you're in the act, you're caught red-handed, Jesus Christ was sent for you. We have nothing to hide and everything to gain from hiding in Jesus. And so the, the, the question that the Lord asked of Adam and Eve, I think the Holy Spirit asks of us today, where are you? Where are you? It's obvious that it wasn't the case that God couldn't find them. He knew exactly where they were. But where are you today? Is there something that you're just, man, you're just really stitching, stitching things together to kind of shield yourself from the shame that you think might come from you being exposed? Jesus invites you. Listen, listen to what... Listen to the better way that Jesus gives us to receive strength. It comes from Colossians 3, 1-4. through it's this, it's this little letter written to a church. And, and he says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, so if then you've received the work of Jesus on your behalf, you've received His Spirit, then, then, then here's what life looks like. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and, and, and set your minds on things that are above not on the things that are, that are here on earth. For you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. You see, here's the invitation, is, is to let Jesus cover you. To let Jesus shield you. To hide yourself in Jesus and hide yourself in God. And it is the greatest gift that God can give us. It's the greatest invitation that He can give to us. But here's the catch. It requires tremendous faith to believe that the blood of Jesus Christ is a better place to hide than the things that you can cover yourselves up with on this earth. It takes tremendous faith because you know what? You can't always see it. You can't see the fact that Jesus is interceding for you at the right hand of the Father. He's representing you to your Father in heaven. And He has very pleasant things to share with His Father in heaven as He intercedes for you. You are beautiful. You are beloved. We're going to look at this a little further as we look at the story of Moses in a few minutes. But to kind of wrap this up, my, my, my question to you is, where is it that you're hiding? Or if you're not aware of that, maybe to ask God the question, where is it that I'm hiding, God? Where is it that I am afraid as I feel your presence and I know your presence is with me? Why do I hide from it? 
And what gain do I have in hiding from you that I don't get from hiding in you? The invitation is to come to Jesus and to hide in Him through faith. Is it in your, is it in your past? Is, is it in your relationships? Is it in your, your performance? Is that, is that the first thing that you want to show to God? Because the only way that we get strong is through receiving Jesus. Hiding in Him. So Jesus invites us to get away with Him. To come and experience what it, what it looks like to have strength that can never be taken away. And this is why people that are meek, at times they can, they, from our, a fleshly standpoint, they can seem like weak people. But the reality is they're just strong people that don't feel like they have to assert themselves because when we, here's the deal guys, when we assert ourselves, we are deserting the gospel. We're deserting the fact that Jesus has been, has been strong on our behalf. We don't have to assert ourselves anymore. We can have this meek, this quiet, gentle strength about us because Jesus has done it all. Secondly, we're, uh, the gospel sets us free to receive strength. In our house, we have this this list of family values, and while I would like to tell you that we're always talking about them and our kids are always living them, it's not the case. That's why we have them on the wall, so we'll remember that we actually have values as a family, right? One of the, one of the, the big values there is this idea of receiving grace. It is, it is so difficult, church, to receive grace from God. We think that we have to have something in the game. It is so difficult to receive. so difficult to receive strength. But as you look at Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek, these that have the gentle strength. And, and the meek are blessed. And as a byproduct of their blessedness, they, they inherit the earth. What is an inheritance? It's a gift. An inheritance is something that is received, that, not, that has not been earned, that is of considerable value. Basically, what Jesus is telling us is that when you come hide yourself in me, you realize that you don't have it together, that you are way more needy and desperate for grace than you ever could consider. When you realize that, it's the moment that you receive everything. When he says, blessed are those who meek, for they shall inherit the earth, what he's saying is that everything is ours in Christ. Everything that matters is ours in Christ. It is an inheritance that we receive. And it is a very passive, it's a very passive activity for us to receive the strength of God in the person of Jesus. But those who, who uh, trust in themselves cannot receive this strength because they're too busy filling themselves with the appearance of strength. So there's this self-emptying that has to take place to receive the true strength that God desires to give us. Richard Sibbs in this great little book that he writes called The Bruised Reed says this, God knows that we have nothing of ourselves. That's really good news this morning. Really good news. God knows that about us. Therefore, in the covenant of grace, He requires no more than He gives. Let that sit. God requires no more than He has given you this morning. Think about that. It's all of grace. What He has given you is what He requires of you. 
But he gives what he requires. And then here's the beautiful part. He accepts what he gives. You, you need to hear this today. You are enough if you are in Christ. You're enough. God, God doesn't look at you with disappointment and a scowl and a frown. You are enough in Jesus because what He has given you is enough. That faith that He's given you is enough. And this, this reception of strength, this reception of grace is an incredibly difficult thing to believe. I mean, think about it this way. Here's, here's the... Here's the algorithm of strength in God's economy. And all, all three parts have to be present. Grace plus your weakness equals incredible strength and power in the name of Jesus. I mean, what is, Paul, what, what is said to Paul in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 when he wants to, to abandon this weakness, this thorn in the flesh, that he's been plagued with. We don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a physical ailment or if the enemy's tormenting him. We don't know what it is. But he, want, he thinks that the way to strength in God's kingdom is to get rid of that thing. And what does God come to him and say? He says, My grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for my power is made perfect in weakness. There's the algorithm. There's the equation of strength in God's kingdom. I mean, I think about the story of Moses. There's, you know, there's only two people that uh, are described as meek people in the Bible. Jesus and Moses. Now, you think about Moses. Moses was a meek uh, man. He was confident and he was gentle. And God lived in Moses in a beautiful way. I mean, listen, um, listen to what happens. I mean, uh, there, there are parts of Moses' story that we would rather... That, that Moses... He wouldn't want us talking about today. You know, like the time that uh, he, was in, he was in Egypt and um, he saw a Hebrew uh, being uh, mistreated by an Egyptian and he went and he struck him down. He murdered an Egyptian. And then he, he, he goes in hiding for the day. He comes out the next day and he's dis- it's discovered that, that he's committed murder and other people know about it. And so what does he do he hides he hides he runs because he's been found out he's been exposed and he runs into Midian I'm mean, a couple hundred miles away he runs away into the desert and he just happens to meet this priest named Jethro who blesses him lets him marry one of his daughters and then makes him a shepherd in the community 40 years in hiding 40 years, he hides. And God meets him in his hiding. The same way that he met Adam and Eve in the hiding. The same way that he wants to meet you in your hiding. He meets him. And listen to this from Exodus 3, verses 10-12. through 12. Come and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, I've got to back up here. Who's speaking to him? This bush is burning in the middle of the wilderness. And it's, it's amazing because this bush is burning, but it's not being consumed like a bonfire in your backyard. It's just burning and it's staying in the form of a bush. So naturally, as a shepherd, he's with his sheep. He wanders over to see what's going on. And this voice begins speaking to him from the bush. He goes on to say, 
Uh, Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children, of e- the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I, God? Why would you want to use me? And he said, but I will be with you, Moses. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. You see, he was near Sinai. So God meets him as he is a runaway captive. He is running from God and God meets him in a profound way. And not only does he meet him, he invites him to participate in his kingdom in one of the most profound ways in all of the history of God's people. So if you think that in running, you find a better narrative for yourself than the one God has for you, you'd be wrong. God's not afraid of us as we run. Now even Moses, after he does this, Here's what happens, okay? He's on the way to Egypt to set God's people free from slavery. That's what he's doing. And as he's on the way there, the Scriptures say in Exodus 4 that the Lord met him in the night and sought to put him to death. So let me get this straight. God has given this guy grace. He's met him in a bush and said, hey, I want you to deliver my people. You're my guy. And then a couple days later, or however long it is, he says, I want to kill this guy. Now why does he want to do that? Because Moses isn't trusting him. He hasn't circumcised his boy. He hasn't given them the sign and the seal of God's covenant. So, so his wife steps up and circumcises the boys. They, they get going. And the rest is history. They deliver God's, he delivers God's people from slavery. God wants to meet us in our hiding. But here, here's what I want you to hear from Hebrews 11. This is, this is uh, the story of God's people and how they've lived by faith. Listen to what is remembered of Moses' story. Listen to what is recalled of Moses' story from Hebrews 11. It says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict, which was to to kill all of the, the Hebrew children. So by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. But rather, he chose to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ a greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. You could say that another way. He he chose the strength of God than the apparent strength of what he could find in Egypt. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured He endured as seeing Him who is invisible. By faith, He kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. So do we hear in Moses' story the day that he murdered the Egyptian? We don't hear that recalled. Do we hear about the time that he took the Ten Commandments and when he came down off the mountain and he saw that the that the Israelites were worshiping a golden calf and he broke the Ten Commandments, do we see that recalled in the story? No. We see the faith that Moses had in the moments that led to the redemption of God's people. You see, there are moments that we walk in faith and there are moments that we don't walk in faith. The moments that we are hiding in God are the moments that we're walking in faith. And God isn't isn't disappointed and upset with us in those moments that we don't get it right, but He invites us, just like the prodigal son, to come back home and to live in faith. He invites us to that. 
we see the plan and power of God working in a man who is tremendously broken over his sin and has a hard time talking to people. You know, he's meek. It's a quiet strength. So this is what we see about the Holy Spirit's power on a person's life. A meekness, a strength. And John 10.27 just talks about Jesus' power to keep us in His grace. Listen to this. This is the best news you'll hear all day. He says, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of My hand. Think about it this way. You cannot mess up the plan of God. As, as J.I. Packer once said, your faith will not fail while God sustains it. You are not strong enough to fall away while God has resolved to hold you, to keep you. You can't mess the plan up. I mean, like Moses, I mean, he almost messed it up on, on, on the way to Egypt, right? You can't mess the plan of God up. That is the grace of God on your life. But things go better for us when we trust them to be strong in our place and in our lives. And once we receive the power of Christ, we are free to appropriately live these meek lives that are settled and content in Jesus. And you know what God desires to do through His people when He gets us to that place? Is he, he, he invites us to share the power that we experience from knowing Him, the strength that we experience from knowing Him to empower others, to leverage it so that others can thrive. Listen to this. Lastly, as we're looking here, freedom to empower others. Freedom to empower others. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, meekness is this true view of yourself. So it has to do with how you see yourself and then how others see you. He says, expressing itself in an attitude and conduct with respect to others. So, it's possible for someone to be humble, but meekness is, is the awareness and the outworkings of that humility. It's kind of what he's saying here. He says, it's my attitude toward myself, and it is an expression of that in relationship to others. So when God humbles you, it's actually when you are clothed with strength. Now, if I look back at my life, um, I've had some humbling moments, right? Um, I've, I've had a lot of them. I would like to tell you that I chose those moments, but a lot of times I haven't, right? I mean, you have them too. You've had some humbling moments. When God brings us to the end of ourselves is when we are ready to receive the strength of God. And the strength of God is palpable in the presence of others. I mean, have you ever, have you ever spent time with someone who just disarms you. I have two friends, Jeff and Terry, that um, they are disarming people. They're not, they're not pushovers, okay? They're, they're not the type of people that are going to tell me what I want to hear. In fact, they have told me some of the most difficult things that I've ever had to hear before. But for some reason, I'm drawn to them. I'm drawn to them because they give me grace and truth. And, and, I, and I don't feel like they're trying to manipulate me, but there, there's just the invitation to, to be with them. And I know that I'm going to be changed because I'm with them. Because somehow the grace of God is going to live in them in a way that is going to impact me. That's, I would say that's meekness. These guys are meek and they've told me some of the most difficult things that I've ever had to hear before. And it has been an invitation to receive the strength of God. 
So, what is it that threatens you this morning to be a Lone Ranger? To posture yourself in such a way where you feel like you have to be strong, it all depends on you, and there's no room for the Holy Spirit to move in your life. What, what is it that threatens you? What is the, here's, the, here's the question I like to ask a lot of times whenever I'm just kind of anxious on the inside. What's the worst thing that could happen right now? In, in your life right now, what is it that is threatening you to make it happen on your own? Inst- instead of letting God live in you in, a, in an attitude of meekness. What, what is it? What's the worst thing that could happen? What's keeping you from this deep security that God wants to give you where He says, there's no way you can mess up my plan. That I'll never let anyone snatch you out of my hand. What is it that's threatening that? Because whatever that is has to go at all cost. Because your security and deep rest in God is on the line. And when we get to this place of deep security of Jesus in us, He gives us an incredible task. And that is the privilege to share the strength of God with others. Listen to how Paul says it in Philippians 2. Two verses here. Uh, Philippians 2, 3, and 4. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, which in the Greek it means empty glory there. Do nothing from selfish ambition or, or vain conceit. But in humility, as you've been humbled, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to his own interest, but to the interest of others. When you look at this passage, the, 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 the invitation for us is that because we are secure in Jesus, we can now get our eyes off of ourselves and put them on other people. And we, as Christians, can lift other people up. What if the culture of New City Church was a place where we, with everything in us, desire to lift other people above ourselves? I think it is, but I think we're becoming, we're growing into it even more. I mean, I see, I see you guys giving yourselves away, having people live in your houses. I see you giving your, your money and your stuff away to serve. I see you investing your time in the most vulnerable and in community with one another. I see you desiring to lift others up. That will leave a mark on a community. It already is. That will leave a mark on a community when something happens to give you a strength that no one can take away. People are drawn to that. And this is the the natural outworking of Jesus' kingdom. And and with everything inside of me, I want to experience it with you. I want to stop trying to win at life. Knowing that we've already won. That Jesus has already met us. That we already are strong in Him. I want to spend my life lifting others up. You know, I was was in Charlotte, North Carolina uh, a couple months ago and... um, one of the professors of the, the, the class that I was in there uh, shared a story about this guy uh, that was on board the Titanic. And this guy was named John Harper. And John Harper, um, he was a pastor 
in England, and he was going to Moody Bible Church in Chicago to, to preach for a few months, a revival. And uh, his wife uh, had died, and he had with him his sister uh, and his six-year-old daughter aboard the ship. And uh, we all know how the Titanic goes down. I think it's in April of 1914 or 1912, something like that. And anyway, the, the, the ship goes down. And what happens next is remarkable because John Harper, um, he secured his, his, his daughter and his sister on a life raft and they, they were, they were uh, going out to be rescued. And what he does, uh, it's getting to the place where he has to jump off of the boat and he puts the life raft on himself, jumps in, and he begins going boat to boat telling people about strength that they can find in Jesus. And he meets this one guy. And he shares the truths about Jesus to him. And the guy rejects him while he's basically on his deathbed in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean with ice all around them. And then Harper is in the water. He's freezing. He's almost, he's almost he's getting ready to die. He's hypothermia. He tells the guy again, the guy receives Jesus. Harper then goes to tell uh, those that are around him. Uh, and, 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 and at one point, he is, he is so frozen that he gives his life jacket to someone else and he, that's the end of his life. Four years later, after the Titanic goes down, they have this memorial in Canada about what happened there. And this guy that John Harper led to Christ stand up, stood up and he said, John Harper... He went out lifting people up. I was his last convert. And he told the story. And you know, there's not a dry eye in the room. And church, I've been thinking a lot about this. I want, I want us to be a healthy people that serve well and serve deep and love well and love deep. But as George Whitfield said, <clears throat> I would rather wear out than rust out. And may that be the anthem of our church as we see the Gospel go forward here. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the strength that Jesus gives us. That he, that he invites us to experience His goodness. Father, I pray this morning that You would convict our hearts. That we wouldn't walk out of here and say, yeah, I think I'm good. But we would ask You to search us and know us, and we would know where we're hiding this morning, God. And I pray that your conviction would be so strong on us that you wouldn't let us be satisfied. We're trying to hide behind fig leaves, trying to produce our own strength, but we would in faith trust the One who's come for us to give us life. Jesus, You're all that we have. Make us aware of that this morning. Amen.